I'm sure you've forgotten all I've uh, told you about Ezra. It's not long ago since we uh, turned to the book. I'm still going to preach from Ezra tonight, but I'm going to read uh, some verses from Isaiah chapter 44 and 45. And then I'm going to take you to the book of Daniel chapter 2. And then a few verses in chapter 7. You may be wondering what the connection is. Uh, but if uh, you just wait patiently, then I will show you why I'm referring to these portions. But we're going to deal with the, the book of Ezra once again tonight. If you turn to Isaiah chapter 44 to begin with, I've mentioned these verses before. And uh, these are familiar verses. And if you want to get an insight into what goes on in Ezra, you've got to understand these verses. So it's chapter 44 of Isaiah, and that is 27 and 28. Okay, and then we'll move into chapter 45. Verse 27 of chapter 44. Thus saith to that saith to the deep, be dry, and I will dry up thy rivers. That saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, thou shalt be built, and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. Verse 1 of chapter 45, Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden to subdue nations before him, and I will loose the loins of kings, to open before him the two-leaved gates, and the gates shall not be shut. And I will go before thee and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut in asunder, and cut asunder the bars of iron. And I will give thee the treasures of darkness, the hidden riches of secret places, that thou mayest know that I am the Lord which call thee by thy name, am God of Israel. Then if you turn over to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 2, and uh, verse 31, Daniel 2, verse 31. Thou, O king, sawest, and behold a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. So it's a terrible image, great image. This image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron, and part of clay. Then if you turn down to uh, verse 38. Just the latter part of verse 38. Then on into 39. Here's Daniel addressing Nebuchadnezzar. About this image that he had in his dream. And this is what Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar. Thou art this head of gold. And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee and another third kingdom of brass 
which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, for as much as iron doth break in pieces and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh all these shall it break in pieces and bruise. Then if you turn over to chapter 7, a lot of verses tonight, I want to try to link all these things up for your benefit uh, so that you'll understand how God was working way back then. So chapter 2 is a vision that God gave to Nebuchadnezzar. We understand that. Now, the dream in chapter 7 is a dream that Daniel had. Verse 2, Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of the heaven strove upon the great sea. Listen to it now. And four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse one from another. I'm not going to read all of the verses, but if you look there, verse 4, the first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Verse 5, and behold, another beast, a second, like to a bear, and it raised up itself on one side. Then verse 6, And I beheld, and lo, another, like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. And then verse 7, After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful, terrible, strong exceedingly. It had great iron teeth, it devoured and break in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it and it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it and it had ten horns. May the Lord be pleased to bless his word tonight to all of our hearts for Christ's sake. So you have these different verses before you. If you don't take anything else in, you know Isaiah 44, 45, Daniel 2, and then Daniel 7. And for a little time tonight, I want to preach on what I've termed the Gentile Messiah. The Gentile Messiah. Jewish tradition has long attributed the authorship of the historical book of Ezra to Ezra himself. I would be of that uh, persuasion as well. But there are those who also hold that Ezra penned the book of Chronicles and that he also penned Psalm 119. And I even discovered today that those who believe that he wrote the first Psalm and also the second Psalm. And I do know this, that he was instrumental in the institution of the system of synagogue worship uh, during the time of the captivity. So when you come to read through the New Testament and you read of Jesus going to the synagogue, you've got to understand that that synagogue system of worship originated at the time of the captivity. They had no temple, you see, so then they needed somewhere to congregate and meet together, and that's when the synagogue system originated, and Ezra played a very prominent role. He was a, a great scribe and a priest, of course. Someone that's called him the second Moses. And I, I do also believe that he... He played a prominent part, if he was not the mind behind it, in complying the Old and uh, bringing together the, the Old Testament, compiling the Old Testament in its form, 
from what we know. So that's just something about Ezra. Chapter 8 includes the first person reference. Uh, with me, he says. So it's clear to me that he's the author of the book. And the book of Ezra records the two separate time periods uh, directly following the 70 years of Babylonian captivity. I've mentioned this before, but again, it will do no harm just to mention it again. Ezra chapters 1 through 6 covers the first return of the Jews from captivity led by Zerubbabel, a period of 22 years beginning with the edict of uh, Cyrus, uh, the king of Persia, and ending with the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. So that's from 538, the issue of the decree, and then the temple wasn't finished until 516. It had been halted for about 15, 16 years due to the opposition. When the people come back uh, with great enthusiasm, uh, they erected the altar, uh, they laid the foundation, and then because of the pressure, uh, they had to give up. And that work was uh, held back for 15, 16 years. Ezra chapters 7 through 10 picks up the story about 58 or 60 years later when Ezra uh, led uh, another group, a smaller group of exiles back to the land in 458. There may have been 1,500, 16, 17, 1,800 uh, people returned at that time. Under Zerubbabel, just under 50,000 returned. Small number when you consider the number of Jews uh, in captivity at that particular point of time. The events in Ezra are set in Jerusalem and the surrounding area. All this was made possible under God, due to the Persian king Cyrus, the Gentile Messiah. Did you know there was a Gentile Messiah? Well, there was. And he's the man that was brought to attention here in the book of Ezra. There are three things I want to say about him tonight, if, I, if the time permits me to do this. There's the description of Cyrus. So about 150, 170 years, maybe plus, some even think it was a period of 200 years, 150, 170, 200 years before Cyrus was born, Isaiah identified him as the one who would liberate Judah from exile. We've read there, in chapter 44, verse 28, God says he's my shepherd. We've read that. You have it before you. And then in chapter 45 and verse 1, God says he's my anointed or he's my Messiah. He was known as Cyrus the Great. Cyrus, a human instrument, a shepherd, will care for the sheep. Not his sheep, but God's sheep. Isn't this an amazing thing that God took a pagan king and caused him to care for the Lord's sheep, to show mercy to them, to be gracious to them, and as the anointed one, he will carry out the Lord's purpose. He will defeat Nebuchadnezzar, the enemy of the people of God. He will replace Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. At that time, it was Belshazzar, of course, but God used him to fulfill his divine purposes. And Cyrus is the only king out of Israel or Gentile who bears the title of Messiah or Jehovah's anointed one. Isn't that truly amazing? Now, there's no historical record that he was a true believer because when he was uh, 
telling the people about the proclamation and about the ability to return to the land of Israel. He, he talked to the people uh, and those who would return, his God be with him. His God, not my God. So there's no historical evidence that he was a believer, but he was God's servant. And both of these titles, my shepherd and mine anointed, apply to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're familiar with these titles. My shepherd, Jesus Christ is the good shepherd, and he is Messiah, the anointed one of God. Christ means anointed. Messiah means anointed. So here we have, even in this story, a foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what did Cyrus do for God's people? He liberated them. He set them free. He released them. How did he do this? He defeated the enemy of the people of God. He defeated Nebuchadnezzar or the Babylonians or Belshazzar and set them gloriously free. And here we have a wonderful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is here because as Cyrus is identified with the deliverance of the people of God by conquering the enemy, so the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who delivers his people by defeating the enemy of souls, Satan himself, and liberating his people through faith and bringing them into the kingdom of God, into the church of Jesus Christ. So why are we studying this book? Well, Christ is here. And this is the one who comes to us even in life and he continues to deliver us from the onslaughts of hell and the powers of the evil one. So here we have a wonderful picture here in the word of God. So he uh, has been solemnly set apart as an instrument of God to perform an important public service in the cause of Jehovah. And notice uh, what it says here Close my Bible in Isaiah chapter 45. Better get it again. Chapter 45 and verse 1. And you will notice uh, what the Lord said he will do for Cyrus. Verse 1 of chapter 45 of Isaiah. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to the Messiah, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden. So the Lord says, I'm going to take this man by the right hand. And holding his hand, Jehovah led him and controlled him and guided him. The Lord was saying to him, I'm taking your hand. I'm going to lead you in the course I want you to take for the good of my people. And that's what God did with this pagan king. He controlled his movements and his destiny that this man, this king, might subdue nations. And his world conquest was not his own. It was God's work for the good of his people. He was the one ordained of God to liberate the people of Judah and let them go free. So God had his hand upon him all through his life, leading, guiding, directing, giving him success over the enemies of the people of God that at some time, according to God's plan, he would issue the, the decree permitting the people to go. And then the Lord said there in that same chapter, and I will loose the loins of kings. What happened on that night when Belshazzar was enjoying the great banquet with a thousand of his lords when he saw the handwriting on the wall? What happened? His knees knocked. He trembled. 
according to what we read here in the word of God. I will loose the loins of kings and Belshazzar that night trembled under God. His knees knocked. So we can see the fulfillment. And then the Lord says, I will open before him the two lead gates and the gates shall not be shut, verse 1b. It refers to the doors or the gates of cities which the Lord handed into the hands of Cyrus. And in verse 2 he says, I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut and sunder the, bar, the bars of brass. Let me take you back to October. What month is this? October. Yeah, well, that's October. What day? That's the 4th. Well, October the 12th, 539, the army of Cyrus, the great, entered the city of Babylon. It was not going to be an easy task, you know, because uh, the walls of Babylon were difficult to penetrate. And the only way into the city was through one of its gates or through the Euphrates River. Now, that would be an impossible task. But Cyrus decided to enter the city by the river. I read there in verse 27 of Isaiah 44, Thus saith to the deep, this is God speaking, Be dry, and I will dry up thy rivers. So here's Cyrus coming, you see. The Persians are coming. Belshazzar's having this great banquet. And during this great feast, Daniel 5, his troops, the troops of Cyrus, diverted the river Euphrates upstream, allowing the Persian soldiers to enter the city through the Lord water. The Persians marched into the city through the empty channel. And providentially, the gates were left open because they were having this great banquet. They were booze out of their lanes. They'd forgotten about this. They were very foolish because they knew the enemy was outside. But they thought, well, they can't get through the walls here. And we've got the river Euphrates. But God in his providence, you see, had planned uh, for Cyrus to get in a different way. An unusual way. And that's the way God planned our deliverance. Not the usual way. Who would have thought that through the death of a man, a Jew, outside the walled city of Jerusalem, would redeem people from their sin? It was an unusual way. But it was God's plan, you see. So in this unusual way, Cyrus and his army get into the city. Providentially, the gates were left wide open. And the two leave gates of Babylon were left open amidst all the revelry. And so the conqueror, uh, I suppose, broke in on a post. And we're told here in our Bible reading in chapter 45 that the treasures of the city were taken and in the providence of God, Cyrus, that powerful monarch, God brought him to preeminence for the deliverance of the Jews. And their preservation was vital for the fulfillment of the messianic prophecies. So here we have the description of Cyrus. We can see Christ here. We can see our deliverer, our helper, the one who cares for his church, the one who accomplishes the, purpose of, the purposes of God on behalf of his people. He's working for us, not against us. He's on our side. And because of that, victory is guaranteed. Isn't that an encouraging word in these times? But then we've got to move on quickly. There's the design for Cyrus. Now, secular history records that the first year Cyrus began officially in the Jewish, Jewish months 
of Nisan, that is March and uh, April time. That's around Passover time, 538. Cyrus united the Persians, defeated the Medes, hence they became the Medes and the Persians. They triumphed over the Medes, you see. And Media is now in northwest Iran, and they conquered Babylon. Babylon fell, as I said, on the 29th of October, 539. It actually fell, as I said, without a struggle, and King Belshazzar was executed. Cyrus assumed the title, the King of Babylon. So Cyrus captured Babylon, bringing to an end the Babylonian Empire. The Persian Empire then took over. 539 to about 330, when it fell to uh, Alexander uh, the Great. He, he made his general, Darius, uh, the Mede, king over Babylon, and it was in the first year, 538, he issued the proclamation permitting the Jews to return to Judah. This was the fulfillment, not only of the word of God, but the vision given to Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 2. That's the reason why I read those verses. And uh, remember what uh, it was, the dream. It was the terrible, the great and terrible image, according to verse 31. And then there was that dream given to Daniel in chapter 7, it was a dream of four great beasts, and they're thought to cover the same uh, ground only from different perspectives. The coming, the coming and the character of Gentile world domin uh, domination. When, the with the fall of Jerusalem, the times of the Gentiles began, you see. And political control over Jerusalem passed then from the Jews from the Jewish people to the Gentile hands, where it has remained practically unchallenged forever. Now, Daniel 2 and Daniel 7 show the rise and fall of the Gentile world. Now, if you turn to chapter 2 of Daniel, just think about that for a moment or two. So, this was all in fulfillment of the promise given to uh, Isaiah and the word also from Jeremiah but also in the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. Now, if you look there at verse 38, this is what uh, Daniel said to Nebuchadnezzar at the very end of the verse. Having given the uh, details of the vision, then Daniel is now explaining it, applying it uh, to Nebuchadnezzar. And at the end of verse 38, he says to the king, thou art this head of gold. All right, you're the head of gold. Uh, and then if you look there also at verse 39, and after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee. That, that refers to the Medes and the Persians. So the head referred to uh, Nebuchadnezzar and to the Babylonian empire. And then the second one, uh, the inferior one, was Medo-Persian. Uh, you, you see the duality here. Breasts and arms of silver. Uh, and then uh, we read there in chapter uh, 2, verse 39, another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over the earth. We can see this as Alexander the Great. You've heard tell of him in history. 
and his kingdom lasted from 330 to about 63. Greece is seen here as a fourfold unity, four horns of brass. And each of these great empires are identified with a, uh, an animal, Babylon with the lion, uh, Persia with the bear, Greece with a leopard, and then the Roman Empire, the dreadful and terrible beast. But the point I'm emphasizing is this. Daniel, who's Daniel? He was a young fellow who was taken with the captives away back in 606 when Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem the first time, and he was removed. And so God had him in Babylon when Nebuchadnezzar had this dream. And Daniel was able to explain that to him and show him how things would be regarding the great powers, the Gentile powers of the years. Babylon, Persia, Greece, Roman Empire. The Lord Jesus Christ was born at the time when the Roman Empire was in control of things. So God was showing in those times to Nebuchadnezzar exactly how things would be as far as these great powers of the world would be concerned. So we have the word. Cyrus, you're going to be the deliverer. I'm going to take your hand. You're going to have success. You're going to deliver my people. And then also God gave a vision to Nebuchadnezzar and a dream to Daniel. More or less the same story. Different terms are used. Images are used. But there it is. <coughs> Cyrus went on to uh, rule over a large empire stretching from the Aegean Sea. Uh, between Greece and Turkey uh, and extended all the way to India. He created the largest empire in the world of his time. He died nine years later when he went to battle against an enemy in the Caspian Sea region in the summer of 530, and he died. His son took over for a little time, but we can see the end of the great Persian Empire uh, when... Alexander the Great uh, overtook that power. But you see, God had it raised up for a reason, for a purpose. So we looked at two things, the description of, the, of Cyrus, the design for Cyrus, and then finally, the, there is the decree of Cyrus. The proclamation was made in the first year of Cyrus the Great, not the first year of his reign, by the way. He had founded the Persian kingdom and inherited the vast Median Empire, he reigned from 559 to 529 or 530, the year when he died. And uh, this was the first year of him being king of Babylon. And Isaiah 44, 28 indicates that he would issue a decree concerning the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. The Lord said, he shall perform all my pleasure. He will say to Jerusalem, thou shalt be built and to the temple life foundation shall be laid 150, 160, 170 years before this man was ever born. Oh, what a wonderful book we have here before us. The destruction of Jerusalem was still over 100 years away in the distant future. But here we can see it being fulfilled in the book of Ezra. God had him raised up for a purpose. God had something specifically for him to do, and God has something specific for each one of us as his people to do his will. 
This man did the will of God. He may not have understood fully what he was doing, but he was doing the will of God. God has a purpose for us all, as he had a purpose for him. And there's one thing we can be sure of. He did the will of God. Are we doing the will of God? Am I in the right place with God where I need to be? Am I in the center of God's will? God put it in his mind to build a house for God. Nebuchadnezzar was the one who was used to chasten the people of God, but Cyrus was used of God to care for the people of God. Sometimes God chastens his church, and uh, after that time of chastening, it pleases the Lord then to show grace and mercy and restoration. That's what the book of Ezra is about, the restoring of the people of God to the Lord himself. In the British Museum, uh, there is a clay barrel found in Babylon many years ago, known as the Cyrus Cylinder, which recounts the victories of Cyrus and his policy permitting various citizens uh, to return to their homelands. This was a very astute policy of Cyrus created uh, for the purpose of seeking peace among his captors uh, and uh, bringing contentment to them and the various races he conquered. He didn't want them to be battling against him. He wanted to uh, cause them to be at peace, and so he uh, maybe restored certain things to them, helped their gods out and everything else the way he did with uh, the people of Israel, financing it and so on, showing mercy to them. That's the way he, he worked. And uh, then this uh, great proclamation was made, allowing the people to return home. Now, an interesting thing about Cyrus, he established the first creative postal system in history and he worked through multiple uh, stations which provided messengers with uh, refreshment and supplies and horses a little bit like the Pony Express in the United States of America clever man, wise man and uh, he built an ancient highway known as the Royal Road to facilitate the rapid communications throughout his empire just the way the Romans did in the land of Israel during their time and that benefited the church because they had a good road system and then that allowed the preachers of the gospel to move freely throughout the land and then to aid in the spread of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So God works in mysterious ways, you see. I'm sure the people complained that the Jewish people hated the Romans and they complained many times. But we look back and we can say to God be the glory. Roads were prepared. The gospel was proclaimed by messengers who used these roads to get them about the country, to declare the gospel of God's grace. God took them by the hand, you see, and God used them. So the book of Ezra is an interesting book. Remember the portions, Isaiah 44, 45, Daniel 2, and Daniel 7. Read it for yourself. Get the images in your mind. Try to put it all together and see how God works in history. As he worked in the past, so God can work still. But please, See Christ here. See Christ here because it's Christ who is directing everything in the book of Ezra. Working out all things for his own glory. For his praise. For the good of his people. Well, we'll get down to have our time of prayer.